Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. Freedom. This word freedom. We're going to be talking about this today. And this is a word that honestly, a lot of times we don't, we don't think about it a whole lot and we don't really talk about it in all honesty a, a whole lot because we live in a society where we have a lot of freedoms. We, we're able to make a lot of different choices in our life, have the freedom to make these choices. For example, nobody can come in here and dictate to you what job you can or cannot do, who you can or cannot marry, how many kids that you can have, what you say out in public, um, for example, voicing your opinions as far as your political opinions, your religious opinions. You want to go out and tell somebody about the name of Jesus. You want to tell somebody about the gospel. You're able to do that. Here's another thing. What about the, the, the freedom and the ability to be able to make the choice to come here and celebrate and worship the name of Jesus here at Victory Church this morning? Nobody can dictate to you, tell you that you cannot do that. You have the right, the freedom to be able to do that. But so many people are going to be gathering around today. And they're going to be wondering, they're going to be celebrating, worshiping the name of Jesus. They're going to be wondering in the back of their mind, have this question like, man, are they going to find us today? Are they going to find us? And when they do, are they going to haul us off to jail? Are they going to separate us from our kids, take them as well? Are they going to come in here and do something worse? Are they going to shoot us and kill us today? So often in all these different places, they have to worry about these things. They don't have the freedoms that we have. We've got these freedoms. We have these choices, but what if these freedoms and these choices were stripped from us? And what if we were placed in political chains and, and bondage to strict laws and strict governments that did not allow us to make these choices about where we're going to work, who we're going to marry, how many kids we're going to have, what we can say out in public politically, you know, religiously, tell people about Jesus, whether or not we can actually go and worship the name of Jesus together, or how about this one, whether or not we can actually just have a Bible in our house and read the Bible. What if that was the world that we lived in? How much more would we think about and would we long for and desire this word freedom that we so often take for granted here in America? How much more would we long for that? What if I told you that we live in a world that is saturated in bondage, where the vast majority of the people that you see throughout your daily interactions, your daily, day-to-day life, the vast majority of them are hauling around, carrying around heavy chains all throughout their life, carrying these chains. Because the truth is, the society that I just told you about, carrying around chains, the vast majority of us being in bondage, that is our present reality because of sin. That's our present reality because of sin. The vast majority of us actually came in here today hauling in chains. As, we're, as I'm standing here, as we're sitting here, we're sitting here with chains that have wrapped themselves around us and they're gripping us so tight that they are suffocating the joy and the peace right out of our lives. Right out of our lives. The vast majority of us. But here's the incredible truth. You don't have to stay in those chains. You can call out to the chain breaker at any point in time and he will break those chains in your life and he will set you free. Any one of us can. The sad reality is, see, several of us sitting here in this room have already been freed by him. We've already been set free, but we so often go back to the bondage, to the slavery, to the chains that we were in before we ever even knew him. And the chains may look a little different than they did before we knew him. But it doesn't matter what the chains look like. A chain is a chain, regardless of what it looks like on the outside. Slavery is slavery, bondage is bondage, and a chain is a chain, no matter what it looks like. But hear me on this. You don't have to leave here today. No matter what chains you came in here with, you don't have to leave here wearing those same chains. You know who the chain breaker is. All you have to do is call on his name. He will break those chains, and he will set you free. The big idea today is only Jesus has the power to break chains. Only Jesus has the power to break chains in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the chain breaker, Jesus, and what you've done for us, Father, by sending your son, Jesus, in our place. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross, by shedding your blood for us in our place, God. You did not have to do that. 
God, we just thank you and we praise you. And God, we, we pray this all the time, but I pray that you just continually remind us what you've done for us, how much you love us. Help us to see ourselves as, as you see us. And God, I pray that you help us to, to understand and to live out this identity that you have given us. And part of that identity, understanding that we are no longer slaves, that we are free because of you and we no longer have to carry around these burdens and these chains anymore. God, help us to actually live that out rather than just talking about it and praying about it. Let us actually live this out. Help us, God. And help us to reflect you, your light, your love, and your freedom, Jesus, to this dark and dying world that needs you so desperately. Pray all this in your mighty and precious name. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just take over the sermon, flood the sermon, flood our lives, open our hearts, break chains in our lives too. Thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we've been diving, we've been in this book of Galatians, which was originally a letter written to several churches, the, the area of Galatia, thus the name Galatians. And so as we've been diving into this, we've seen Paul um, it, it, talking to these Galatians, writing to these Galatians. And these Galatian Christians and churches, they've uh, had these false teachers, these legalistic false teachers that have infiltrated these churches. And they're trying to sway them, persuade them. And several of these churches, these Christians, have been swayed in the process. And they've been um, starting to believe, starting to be swayed to believe that they have to do all these different things, like keep the Mosaic law. You know, they have to, to do all these good works. In other words, it's this idea that it's like grace plus all these other things. Jesus is good. The cross is good. Grace is good. But that's not it. You also got to keep the, the law, the Mosaic law to the T and do all these good works in order for God to really accept you, in order for God to really love you, to earn your way to God or to heaven. And they've been swayed by this Lie. And so that's one of the main reasons that Paul is writing this letter to get these guys back to the truth of the gospel. And he's highlighting, he's outlining what the truth of the gospel is consistently. We see that at the beginning of this book time and time again. It is grace alone found by faith alone in Christ alone. The only thing that saves us is the scandalous grace of God found through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. And he highlights that, really hits on it hard at the beginning. He consistently highlights it out throughout this letter that we see. And because um, these Galatians were getting tripped up by the law, that was kind of the stumbling block. It was this law, this idea that we have to earn um, God's favor and acceptance by keeping this law. Because of that, Paul um, talks about what the law was actually meant for, why God sent the law. The law was never meant to, to save us. The law, God sent the law, gave us the law to act as like this tutor or like think of this nanny of sorts to teach us right from wrong to teach us right from wrong, and also as like this mirror of sorts to help us see ourselves as we truly are, just hopelessly drowning in an ocean of our own sin, but also to help us see who God is, the magnitude and the perfection and the holiness of God, and to see the distance between us and God, this wedge that's been created between us and God from our own sin, and that we can never make our way to him or earn his favor or his love. We can never earn it. And see, we have to understand, God did not give us the law for us to earn salvation, for us to be able to work our way to salvation. God gave us the law to show us the complete opposite, our need for salvation and our absolute desperate need for a Savior. That Savior's name is Jesus Christ. And through Christ, we not only find our salvation, we find our freedom and we find our identity. And she highlights here, too, some of those identity characteristics and traits. We are no longer slaves. We are free. We are loved sons and daughters of the God of the universe, and we are heirs of God, meaning we have the promise of a blessing of a future in paradise with Christ forever. So that's what he's been talking about so far. Last week we, we, talk, we saw Paul talking about how the importance of choosing to do things God's way rather than our own way. And he used the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Hagar to show us that and illustrate that point and how they made this decision to do things their way in that scenario. And not only did it destroy things and cause chaos and heartache in their lifetime, but the ripple effects of their choices are still seen even to this day in the destruction and the chaos. God can redeem, but at the same time, too, the choices that we make in life, the repercussions for our actions. And so he highlighted the, the importance, the incredible importance of choosing to do things God's way on a consistent basis rather than our own, not just for the big choices, but the little choices in our lives. And today, Paul's going to really hit hard on this word freedom. Freedom and what that means, what Jesus has done for us by freeing us, what that means and the implications that this has for our lives. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start with 
verse 1, Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. Let's kick this off. It says, for freedom, Christ set us free. I love that. That's a good way to start right there, isn't it? For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through um, the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters, catch this, what matters is faith working through love. You were running well. He's talking to the Galatians. You were doing well. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you, talking about God. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Check this out. I wish those, hear these words, I wish those who were disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. Did you, did you catch that last verse? I, I wish those who were disturbing you might let themselves be mutilated. This is Paul, like one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived saying this. Like, do you think this dude is fired up right now? He is fired. And we can see this kind of language all throughout this letter, all throughout this, this book. And see, that's one of the things that's so cool about reading this, is this is a legit dude. Paul lived a couple thousand years ago. These are, these are Christians. These are people. We can't just skim past this. We have to understand these are people that he's talking to. And we can see his love for them, how much he loves for them and longs for them and cherishes them. And his heart is broken because they are drifting from the truth of the gospel. They are trying to earn their salvation and their acceptance from God, even though they've already been given it in and through Jesus Christ. And in the process, they're going to bondage and slavery from the law by trying to keep all of these laws and just mounting these chains on their back, and it's breaking his heart. And all throughout this book, again, he uses his language several times. We see he's fired up about this, and, and it really it kind of paints this picture of Paul as like a spiritual father. For these Galatians. It's almost like you get this picture of a father that has a son or a daughter that they love so much. It's my little boy or my little girl that he loves and he cherishes. And, and he just, you know, he loves this little kid, but then all of a sudden he sees them drifting. And he sees them going down this path and they're just destroying their lives right in front of him. And it's just breaking this father's heart, this father's heart, and he, he just loves them and he wants so badly, longs so badly for them just to come back home where they're loved and where they're safe. And that's kind of this picture that we get from Paul as he's writing this this letter. See, Paul knew these people, so many of them intimately by name. He did life with several of these people for a long time. He he loved them. He taught them the truth of the gospel. He saw them mature in their, their Christian maturity. He helped them plant churches and prayed with them. He loves these people. And it's just breaking his heart to see what's happening. This was a group of churches. We've got to understand these Christians, this wasn't happening before. They were doing well, right? They were doing good. They, they, they understood the truth of the gospel, and they were on a good path. They were doing really well. And now these false teachers have come in. They persuaded them. They've completely shifted, and they're going right back to the chains and the bondage that they knew before Christ. The shackles, the chains might look a little differently, but it doesn't matter. A chain is a chain no matter what it looks like on the outside. They're going right back to bondage and slavery like they were before they ever even knew Christ. In fact, before they knew Jesus, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, before they knew Jesus, they were pagan idol worshipers. Pagan idol worshipers. And we we, we talked about, too, that week, Paul shows us in Corinthians that idol worshipers, they're not actually worshiping idols. They think that they're worshiping idols, but they're really worshiping a power that's behind the idol, and that's demons. In other words, these guys, Galatians, before Christ saved them and redeemed them, they were pagan demon worshipers. Well, they were pagan demon worshipers. And he showed us in that text that we were in a couple of weeks ago that legalism, this going to this works-based salvation, trying to earn your acceptance and your favor from God, rather than believing in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place, grace 
legalism and works-based salvation is just as bad as being a pagan demon worshiper. And he shows that, us that in that text when he says a couple of weeks ago, he says, why do you want to go back? Why do you want to go back and be in slavery, enslaved to them all over again? Because we, we got to understand that Satan doesn't care how you destroy your life. You know that, right? Satan does not care how you destroy your life. His prerogative, his objective for your life is to just kill the, the, the peace and the joy right out of your life. For, so for us as Christians, so that we don't look like Jesus, or for those of us that aren't Christians or followers of Christ, that we won't become one, and to just separate you from Christ, to separate you from Jesus. That's his objective. That's what he wants to do. And he doesn't care how that happens. He might have these little plans like, yeah, I'm going to see this demon over here to like tempt you, or, you know, to go down this path. I'm going I'm to send this demon over here to cause some chaos or whatever. But in the end, if you end up destroying your own life, guess what? He doesn't care. It's kind of, I kind of have this like picture of Satan. He's standing there, and he's got this wall, and it's full of doors, all these different doors. They might look a little different, different shapes, different colors, but it's all these doors, but they all lead to the same place, right? And he just stands there, and sometimes he's like waiting, and again, seeing little demons to you know, tempt us or whatever else. But then as soon as we start distancing ourselves from Christ, and we're looking for something, whether it's acceptance or control, or, or, or you know, something to help us cope with life. We're not trusting God, and we peek our head, poke our head through that door, reach out and grab us, and drag us down this path of bondage and slavery and slap chains all over us. He doesn't care which door you choose. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And a lot of times, I think we give Satan too much credit. I think a lot of times, we're really good at just destroying our own lives, aren't we? I mean, a lot of times, all he'll do is just whisper one little lie, and guess what? He sits back and watches. And that's kind of what's happening with this church in Galatia. These guys are just spreading lies. I'm not forcing them to do anything. They're just spreading lies, and they're believing it. They're going down this path of bondage and slavery, chains. And guys, this shows us the danger in trying to change the gospel message at all, adding or subtracting anything at all to the truth of the gospel. And that's what's happening with these Galatians. They are adding to the gospel grace plus works, you know, the cross plus works, Jesus plus this and that. That's what saves you. And it is so dangerous when we add or subtract anything at all to the truth of the gospel. It completely contaminates it. It turns it into a lie that does not save. It only destroys. And it leads you down this path of slavery and destruction and chains, which is ultimately a trap of Satan. And it leads to demonic oppression. What it leads to. It leads to demonic oppression. Because if we honestly want to live our life in victory, and if we want to live our life in light of the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us, it is absolutely imperative. It is essential that we not only understand the truth of the gospel, like honestly know the full gospel, not just like, you know, the love stuff, not just the, 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 um, you know, the, the um, wrath of God, but know the whole picture of the gospel. And understand it, but not just that. Not just understanding it, but living it out on a consistent basis and constantly reminding yourself of its truth. If we honestly want to live our life in victory and live our life in light of the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give us, we have to know the gospel. We have to live it out on a consistent basis. And because it was through legalism that these Galatians, these Christians, these churches were being swayed through legalism, works-based salvation. It kind of reminds me of another church that we see in another area of the Bible in Revelation, specifically chapter 2. Revelation, it was, it was written by the Apostle John. We know him as the disciple that Jesus loved. He wrote the Gospel according to John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, right? And so with Revelation, Jesus instructed John, the Apostle John, to write what he saw, gave these his revelation, right? And in chapter 2, Jesus instructs him specifically to write these seven different um, letters, and it continues on in chapter 3. Seven different letters to seven different churches, right? And in each of these, these letters, he's specifically writing to a specific church. There's two, it's kind of twofold, the reasoning for this. For one, he's encouraging them in the things that they're doing right. It's like, you're doing really well in these areas right here. And then the other side of this is he's calling them out on the things that they're doing wrong. Encouraging them in the things they're doing right, calling them out on the things they're doing wrong. And he's not calling them out on the things they're doing wrong to be hateful or vindictive or just oppressive. It's not about that. They're, they're steering down this path to destruction, and he wants to get them back to where he can love them and get them back under his wings, so to speak, where they're accepted and loved, and they are living in the freedom that he died to give them. And so that's why he's lovingly calling them 
out on these things. And, and as I was kind of preparing for this sermon this week and diving into this text, Galatians chapter 5, God was kind of putting it on my heart, just reminding me of um, a specific church that we see in Revelation chapter 2, actually the first one that we get to, which is the church in, in Ephesus. Very first church that you see in Revelation chapter 2 that Jesus tells John to write to. And, and um, this church on the outside, looking in, man, at first glance, it seems like they have everything together. It seems like, man, this is an awesome church. Like, these guys got it together. This is like the perfect church. This is the church that I'd want to go to from the outside looking in. In fact, whenever Jesus is encouraging them, he first encourages them, and there's several things that he's encouraging them on. And it's like, dude, these guys, are, they're, they're awesome. I mean, one of the things, for example, is their good works. He's like, you are doing some great things. You're doing good works, and he's encouraging. He's like, keep on doing that. You're doing awesome. Keep doing the good works. The other thing is that they are laboring and, and enduring um, through hardships um, in the name of Christ. They are laboring and enduring hardships through life in the name of Jesus. And so in other words, they weren't easily swayed. Through trials, through tribulations, they weren't easily swayed. They kind of stayed true um, to what they believed, right? And one example of this is the false teachers that tried to go to Ephesus. The false teachers, they, they didn't just try to infiltrate these churches in Galatia. This was a common thing. They would go to all these different churches. But when they came to the church in Ephesus, these guys rejected them. They were like, no, dude, you guys are, that's junk, man. That ain't true. And they caught that, and they stood firmly for what they believed, right? So Jesus encourages them that. They're not easily swayed. The third thing that, that, that we see, another thing that we see that Jesus is encouraging them on is the fact that they hate evil. These guys hate evil. So in other words, they're not fence straddlers. Right? You're not going to see these guys acting a certain way on Sunday morning, speaking Christianese here on Sunday morning, and then going out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, going out like selling drugs or something like that, straddling the fence, living this double life. These guys, what you saw was what you got. And they weren't perfect, but what you saw was what you got. And so he encourages them that they hate evil. They don't want to tolerate evil. They're not straddling the fence. And so it, it, it kind of it begs the question, like, what was going on here? Like, what, what, was, what, was, what was happening? If these guys, it seems like they have everything going on, like, you know, the outside looking in, this seems like the perfect church. But see, what happens is as you kind of dig a little bit deeper past that superficial layer, you kind of trace the, the roots down. What you see in this church is there's something really, really major that's missing. And it's a big deal. Something very, very big is missing. In fact, it was so important, so huge that Jesus said this, if you do not repent, in other words, if you do not turn from it, and if you do not change your ways, I will essentially shut your doors. I will close you down as a church if you do not repent of this, and if you do not change your ways. That is a huge deal. He's not saying that they would lose their salvation, once saved, always saved, but that that church would be destroyed. He would shut their doors. And it makes you wonder what in the world was going on, this church that seemed to have all together, that Jesus would say something so dramatic to them. And here's what the answer is. Here's what Jesus said. You have abandoned your first love. You have abandoned your first love. And it begs this question, well, who's their first love? Who's, who's he talking about? And for an unbeliever, somebody that's not a follower of Jesus Christ, when you think of that question, you get asked that question, who is your first love? You might think, well, you know, that was, that was Susie. That was Betty Joe. That was Steve or whatever. You know, the, the first person that you really, you know, just had these feelings, these intimate, strong feelings for you. You started kind of imagining being able to spend your life, share your life with them, potentially just, you know, bonding that relationship and marriage. And, and that was kind of your first love as an unbeliever. But for us as Christians, when we hear that question, who is your first love, our thoughts and our focus should automatically start going to the one who first loved us, to the one who first called us and wooed us before we were ever even born. The, the one who not only created us, but came to the world and died in our place to save us. And we go, he goes by several different names. We call him several different things. Our, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our Redeemer. His love for us knows no limits, has no ends. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. For those of us who have been marked by his blood and saved and redeemed by him, Jesus is our first Love. He's our first love. And for this church in Ephesus, kind of similar to the Galatians, they had started out right. They were doing things well. And then something happened. You kind of trace the ball down. Something ended up happening in both of these churches. Somewhere along the way, 
They continue doing all the right things, but catch this, for the wrong reasons. In other words, they were doing it for the, for the wrong motives. See, they started having a heart problem. Right? And I'm not talking about like congestive heart failure, like your, your, your physical heart, but they did have congestive heart failure. But it wasn't their physical heart, it was their spiritual heart. It was the part of them that, that controlled their desires and, and their actions. They had spiritual congestive heart failure. See, for them, obedience out of duty had replaced obedience out of a genuine love for Christ. Obedience out of duty had replaced a genuine obedience out of love. Christ. It's this mindset that says, I obey Jesus, and then he accepts me, rather than Jesus accepts me, therefore I gladly and willingly obey. There's a very big difference with that. These Galatians, they had adopted this same mindset. I obey, then Jesus accepts me. The mindset that they had adopted, and in the process, they were going down this road to bondage and slavery and going right back to these chains that they were in before they ever even knew Jesus. Why? Because they were drifting from their first love. They were drifting from Jesus Christ. See, legalism and works had replaced true love and devotion to Christ. Legalism and works had replaced true love and devotion for Christ. It led them down this path of bondage. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how we all had, before Christ, before we were redeemed, set free by Christ, as for us as followers of Christ, we, we all had a, a sin addiction, right? We all had a sin addiction. We compulsively just sin all the time before we were redeemed and saved by Jesus. Us, we didn't even understand the magnitude of our sin before Christ set us free. And because of that, just like any, anybody else is struggling with addiction like an addict, we had this natural draw back towards that kind of sinful lifestyle. And it may not look be the same exact sins, it may be different things, but we've got this natural tendency, just like anybody else that struggled with addiction in the past, to go right back to that. And so because of that, we got to put up barriers, right, that will help block us from going, drifting too close to that sin addiction, and will instead do the opposite, will bounce us back in the direction of Jesus. And we talked about one of the most effective um, spiritual guardrails, as I like to call them, that will help us do just that, that will keep us from drifting too close to the sin addiction that we once had, but also will, in turn, bounce us back in the direction of Jesus. And that is the spiritual guardrail of Christian community. Christian community where we are surrounded by other Christ-like believers, followers of Christ, brothers and sisters who are not perfect, but they genuinely love Jesus. They're going to point us to Jesus, encourage us to move in his direction, remind us of the gospel, and remind us who we are in Christ. And they'll be with us every step of the way to help carry our burdens. Spiritual guardrail of Christian community is one of the most effective things to keep us from that sin addiction and bounce us in the direction of Christ. And, and kind of with that in mind, especially the importance of community, um, back, in the, back in the early 20th century, there were several experiments that were done. They, they were actually done on rats. And um, the, the mindset with these experiments is they wanted to kind of find out more about addiction, right? The lifestyle, what it is, you know, people that struggle with this addiction. And so they did these experiments and the experiment went something like this. They took a rat, they put it in a cage, and they had a couple bottles of water. And they had a, wa a bottle of water that had water, just pure water. They had another bottle that had water, but it was also laced with cocaine or with heroin, with drugs. And so they put this rat in this cage with these bottles of water, and they just stepped back and watched, right? And they did this experiment over and over and over again, and the vast, 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 almost every single time, what ended up happening is the rat ended up, nobody forced it to, automatically drifted towards the water that was laced with the cocaine or the heroin. Almost every single time, and almost every single time, ended up ODing. They killed themselves by drinking the heroin, and then nobody forced them to do this. And so it kind of developed this mindset from there, like, okay, well, in order to kind of really help um, people that have struggled with addiction, um, we've got to, it's got to be really strict punishment, really strict kind of discipline, and they've got to be completely separated from anything at all that they could do wrong. In order to really help them, that's what we've got to do. Separate them, punish them, discipline, things of that nature. And then in the 70s, there's this guy that came along, and he was looking at these experiments, and he's like, okay, I see where they were going with this, but there's something missing here. There's something missing. And, and so what he did, he wanted to conduct the same experiments, but he changed things up a little bit. And what he did, same exact thing, took the cage, right, but he noticed in the other experiments that the, the rats didn't have any other choice. They didn't have anything else to do. They had the two bottles of water. That was it. Drink water. 
one of the two bottles. That was all they had. So he was like, okay, well, we're going we're to make this cage and have a lot of different things that they, this rat can do. Okay? They can play. They can do, they've, they've got a purpose. They've got things that they can do, fun things to do, to occupy their time. They have a purpose. And the other thing you notice is on the other experiments from the past, these rats were by themselves. And so he's like, okay, well, we're going to put them in a community of rats. You've got this big cage. You've got a lot of fun things to do, things that occupy their time, a purpose, right? But then they're also in a community with other rats rather than being by themselves. So other than that, the, the, um, this experiment was exactly the same. In this cage, they didn't leave. They put the two bottles of water, one pure um, water, one laced with heroin or cocaine, exactly the same step back, watch, see what they do. And the results were astounding. They were exactly the opposite of the first, of the first experiments. See, in this experiment, and in the first experiment, the rats almost always drifted towards the cocaine. And they ended up actually killing themselves almost every single time. In this experiment, they almost never drifted towards the water that was laced with the cocaine. And none of them ended up dying. None of them OD'd. The very few times that they went for the cocaine, it wasn't habitual. And you might be kind of wondering, okay, well, this is rats. What does that have to do with anything? Well, we see the same thing in human societies. We see the exact same thing amongst people. I mean, think about it. I mean, we understand this. You already know this. This is common sense. Because when you think about people that have been in a society, for example, maybe kids that have grown up in a world where their, um, where their family, their parents, were drug addicts. And maybe they, they weren't present, Right? or they don't have any you know, love or encouragement in their life, or even adults, they don't have any a loving community at all. They're separated, they don't have any encouragement, any love. And not only that, but they don't feel like they have a sense of purpose. They, they are much, much, much more likely to drift down this path of bondage, of, of, of uh, uh, addiction and destruction, rather than somebody that has grown up in a loving, supportive, encouraging community that has a sense of purpose. And not only that, but somebody that isn't a loving community with a sense of purpose, if they do drift and go to this path of addiction, they're much more likely to be able to come out of that and much more likely be able to not only come out of it, but to sustain it because they have a loving community to come back to and they also have a sense of purpose to come back to. And so at this point, you're probably asking yourself, dude, what does this have to do with anything? What's up with all these rats? That's cool, but how does this tie in? And this is how. We see a couple of things, a couple of essential and there's tons of proof for this, even in the secular world, that are absolutely essential if we are going to honestly drift away from this path of addiction and destruction for our life. And those things are a loving, supportive, encouraging community. And the other thing is a sense of purpose, a loving community and a sense of purpose. And guys, the same thing is true for us as Christians. It is absolutely imperative for us to have a loving community but then also a sense of purpose. If we're going to drift away, we stay away from that sin addiction that we previously had before Christ and drift towards the bondage and the slavery and the chains of sin that we were in before. We have to have a loving community. We also have to have a sense of purpose. And as important as the spiritual guardrail of Christian community, our brothers and sisters in Christ are, and that is imperative as well, but as important as that is, this church in Ephesus points us to an even greater need for community with someone that is absolutely imperative. A community that we absolutely have to have that we were created for. And that word community means with unity. That's the unity that we share with our first loves. The unity that we share, community that we share with Jesus Christ. Yes, through Christ, we find true love and acceptance. The only true love and acceptance that truly fulfills us. And through Christ, we find our purpose for living life in the first place, along with our hope and our future. But it's only through Christ that we find these things. And just like any other relationship in life, you think about just a random relationship in life, what do you have to do? In order to actually get closer to that person, you have to nurture it. That, that re relationship has to be nurtured. It has to be cultivated. It's not like you're working for God or Jesus to love you more, accept you more. There's nothing you could ever do to make him stop loving you or to make you love you or accept you more, but you have to work on that relationship, cultivate it in order to, to really just uh, deepen that, that intimate relationship with Christ on a consistent basis. And we do that in a few different ways. For one, the veil has been torn by Jesus. So we not only have direct access to the very throne room of God to make our requests known, but we have direct access to the throne room of God, check this out, to spend time with him. To spend time with him. And to get to know him. A lot of times I've been asked this question, well, how do I know if God is speaking to me? The more that you spend time with him, the more that you will be able to hear his voice. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. And remind yourself of the truths of the gospel, your identity in Christ. 
the more that we do these kinds of things, the more that we will cultivate and grow and deepen that intimate relationship with Christ. But the same thing is true. The opposite is true. Just like with any relationship, if you stop spending time with him, if you stop spending time in his word, stop going to church, stop reminding yourself of who you are in Christ, what's going to happen? You're going to start to grow distant. And you're going to start to grow cold. It's a natural process, just like any relationship. And the process will start abandoning our first love. We might start still be doing all the right things, but we're doing them without the love. We're doing them out of obligation rather than love and devotion for Christ. And then the process, it goes, takes us right back to this path of bondage, and slavery, and chains in our life. See, even though we, we know the, the chain breaker, and we know that at any point in time, we can call out to him, and he will set us free, we choose instead to go right back to the chains. And what happens is we start putting these chains on and we start getting more used to them and comfortable with them to the point to where we couldn't even imagine life without them. It's like this love-hate relationship where you hate it, but at the same time you love it and you couldn't imagine life without it. It's like this, start treating them like our pet. You gotta, you gotta entertain it. You gotta coddle it. You gotta spend time with it because I can't imagine life without it. I don't like it, but at the same time, I, I, gotta, I gotta have it to cope. And it's just this chain of, there's all kinds of different ones. This chain of control it tells us we always gotta be in control no matter what. And things gotta go a certain way. And if they don't, then I'm gonna be out of control. And if I'm out of control, then, then I'm gonna start freaking out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have fear. I'm gonna have you know, anxiety. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be depressed. I'm gonna get angry. And so I gotta be in control. And so I'm gonna, I'm going to keep this, hold this really tight, this, this control chain, so I, can, so I can pretend like I'm in control. It makes me feel better, like I feel like I'm in control, so I won't be out of control. Or this chain of just trying to please everybody and be everything to everybody. And i gotta, I got to make sure I do things right. i got to say the right things, act the right way, wear the right things. And, and you gotta, I can't ever say no, no matter what, because i got to have people to love me. If they don't love me, they won't accept me, and I'll be all by myself. So i got to hold on to this chain as tight as I can. And carry it around because it makes me feel better, helps me cope. And then this, the Galatians had this huge chain around their neck. They were carrying around this heavy chain of trying to earn their acceptance and their love through, from God and their way to heaven, even though they had ever already been given it through Jesus Christ. And it weighed them down and it was so heavy. And it's this idea that, you know what, this is so heavy and this is so burdensome, but, but you know what, if I, if I just keep on going with this chain, if I keep on wearing this thing, then eventually, after a period of time, then God's going to love me more. He's going to accept me more. He's going he's to save me. I'm going I'm to earn my way to heaven. So I'm just going to keep on going with this chain. I'm going to keep on carrying these chains around wherever I go. And, and over a period of time, you start getting more and more weary. You start just walking around, and it's just like killing the joy and the peace out of your life. And you're just so weary, and you're just like, i got to keep on putting more on me to help me cope, more and more chains, get more and more weary, kills the joy, kills the peace right out of your life. And eventually what happens is your walk starts becoming a crawl, and that crawl leads to complete stagnancy where you are completely ineffective for the spread of the gospel, and you look more like a victim than you do a victor through Jesus Christ. Even though we know the chain breaker, and we can call out to him to break our chains at any point in time, but we choose to stay in the chains and get more and more weary and loaded down. And the next in this text, the last text we're going to be in, Galatians 5, 13 through 15, he says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another so again as christians we've been free by jesus christ by the blood of jesus christ we're free so often we go right back to the bondage and the slavery and the chains that we were in even may look a little different but a chain is a chain and in that process of going back to the chains we also drift further and further from christ we drift further and further from his plan of redemption from his plan of freedom for the world and the process we drift towards satan and his plan of slavery and bondage for the world and what happens is, as we put these chains on ourselves, we're also used by Satan to start putting chains on other people around us. 
And we do this with our words. We do this with our actions. As we start taking part in Satan's plan of bondage and captivity for the world rather than God's plan of redemption, salvation, and freedom for the world. We put more and more chains, and some of the heaviest chains that we put on people are the people that we love the most that are closest to us. And we don't have the power to keep them in the chains. We don't have that power. They can call out to the chain breaker at any point in time just like we can. And they can break, he'll break those chains just in a moment, in a heartbeat. But so often, how often do we bury chains, these bear these burdens and these chains in our life from past relationships, from past hurts, from the bitterness, the resentment, the unforgiveness, the fear, the insecurities, all of these different things, these chains and these burdens that load us down all throughout our life from past relationships. And rather than calling out to the chain breaker, we end up carrying these chains all throughout our life, the hurts, the pains, the insecurities, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, we carry them around all throughout our life and become more and more weary and burdensome. And we continue that process, pay it forward, so to speak, and continue putting chains on other people as well. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you some good news. You ready for some good news? When we call out to the chamber, when we call out to Jesus, he will not only take break the chains off in our own life, but he will also use us, to check this out, he will use us to help take chains off of other people around us. Because everywhere that you go, his power goes with you. Everywhere that you go, his power goes with you. And when Christ, when the chain breaker is at the center of your thoughts, the center of your life and your desires, what happens is his thoughts and his actions start to becoming your thoughts and your actions. And he starts to become so um, just tangible and evident in your life, but that people, the chains in your life and the people around you, their chains start to just fall out at the very presence, the very sight of his presence in your life. Because hear me on this, when you have an intimate relationship with Jesus, when you have an intimate relationship with a chain breaker, the devil cannot put chains on you fast enough. He can't put chains on you fast enough. Like, like, hear these words that Paul is saying. Let these echo in your mind. Jesus freed us. Why? To be free. Jesus freed us to be free. And this seems so simplistic. It's like this is, this is too simplistic. But if we honestly understood what this meant, if we honestly understood the implications that this has for our life, it would change everything. This is not a past tense or a, a future tense promise. This is a present tense, never changing, always acceptable, uh, um, acceptable and always ready promise that you can take to the make every single day of the week. It is always ready. Hear me on this, Christian. You are free. You are free. And you do not have to live your life in bondage and in chains and in misery and slavery anymore because of Jesus. You don't have to live your life in, that, in those chains anymore. And guys, because we're free, we should live like it. We should act like it. Because we're free, we should love like it. And I don't know about you, man, but I don't, I don't want to live my life in bondage. I don't want to live my life in slavery and in chains, just hauling around these chains all throughout my life when I know that all I have to do is call out to the chain breaker, and he will break those chains in my life. I don't want to live my life like that in bondage. And I don't want to live my life just talking about the freedom that we've been given in Jesus Christ, talking about this, reading about this. I want to actually live my life like based on, because of, in light of the freedom that I've been given in Jesus Christ. And something tells me that somebody else in here feels the same way. That you're tired of carrying around those chains and no matter what chains you came in here with, hauling and what chains you're wearing even right now, Please hear me on this. You do not have to leave here still hauling around those same old chains. You don't have to leave here with those same old chains. The chain breaker is here. He is ready. He is able. And he is willing. But he's also waiting. He's waiting on you to call out to him. And he's waiting on you to hand those chains over to him. So that he can break them for you. Because here in just a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to take communion together talked about communion it's kind of the representation of the intimacy that we share with christ almost like a husband and wife renewing their their wedding vows to each other and so we're just reminding ourselves what jesus has done for us reminding ourselves that everything we are everything we have belongs to him and we're saying jesus here i am 
filth, muck, and all. Here I am. I'm all yours. And that's what we're doing through communion, reminding ourselves what he did for us on the cross in our place. And as we, we come up, I'm going to invite here in just a moment the elders and also the worship team up first. There's no specific way to do this. We, we don't want to dictate how you do this, the time frame with this. This is between you and Jesus. So after the elders and the worship team take communion, whenever you're ready, you can come up on ta- and take it. And, and this is specifically, I want you to know, this is specifically for followers of Christ, repentant followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have been redeemed by Christ, you have responded to the gospel, responded to Jesus, and you're also not perfect, but you're consistently wanting to give over those chains to him, so, so to speak, then please, I, I would love to encourage you to come up and take communion with us. But if you're here today and, you, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I um, mean, you have questions about who this, this Jesus is, questions about what the gospel is, then man, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Um, if you're here today, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but man, God is stirring it on your heart. And you're like, man, I am ready to make a decision. I'm, I'm tired of living in chains. I'm tired of living in bondage. I felt him calling me for a while. I've drifted. But man, I'm ready to live my life for Christ. If that is you, please do not leave here today without talking to myself, talking to one of the other elders who will be up here. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to answer any questions that you have and just go through this journey with you. Please don't leave here today without talking to one of us. But I, but I want to end on this, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get the elders and the worship team to come up after I pray. Because again, no, no matter what chains you came in here with, no matter what chains you are still wearing right now that are weighing you down in your life, you know what they are. God knows what they are. Please do not leave here today wearing those same chains. I want to encourage all of us to do this, and I'll be the first to do this, man. Come up to the altar. Come up to the altar and hand those chains over to him. Whatever those chains are, hand them over to him. And then when you walk out those doors today, know, understand, believe that you have been set free by Jesus Christ. And that you do not have to go back to those chains anymore because of Jesus. Pray, Father, thank you so much for not only the salvation that you've given us through Christ, but the freedom that you've given us. And God, I pray that you just help us to understand what this means, the implications for our life, that this isn't just a, a future tense thing, that we have, we're free because of you, we're going to be free in paradise and heaven, that we can be free right here, right now, today. And we don't have to carry around these chains and these burdens anymore because of you. Ultimately, they don't even belong to us, they belong to you, Jesus. You died to take them. And God, I pray that you just help us to give these over to you. We need your help to, to know what they are. So I pray for just revelation, what they are, God, and discernment. I pray that you help us to give us the courage and the strength to, to move in your direction, to hand them over to you. And when we do, I pray that you just resonate in our hearts and our minds, help us to know and to feel tangibly that you have freed us, that you love us, that we are fully accepted and cherished by you, that we don't need these chains anymore in our life. God, free us. Help us. We love you. We thank you when we praise you. Pray all this in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we... Um, it, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to. Um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things, 
um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So... Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.